0: Love, talk radio.
1: Be the great end. Love of all is inside of me. Check yeah, yeah, yeah. the chocolate.
2: Urban jungles radio, Urban Jungles Radio. Urban Jungles Radio,
3: Urban Jungles Radio. It's the well-famous Urban Jungles Radio. With your
1: host, Danny Mendez and MV. Urban jungle radio, urban jungle radio. 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 radio,
2: may contain mature subject matter and extreme awesomeness. Listen at your own risk. Attention jungle junkies and new listeners worldwide. It's time for the world famous Urban Jungles Radio. It's the Urban Jungles Radio Show. With your hosts, Danny Mendez, the Beastmaster, and Andy Lee. Prepare to enter a new stream of consciousness, higher level of awareness, and an overabundance of awesomeness. Streaming light at the speed of light from the world wide interwebs, straight to your brain's core. It's the world famous Urban Jungles Radio.
0: That's right, welcome to another
3: outstandingly amazing episode of the world famous Urban Jungles Radio show. My name is Danny Mendez. I am your resident beastmaster. Tonight, unfortunately, I roll solo. Sans wingman. No Andy in the house tonight. Um, he's uh he's on a very important, I guess you could say maybe I don't know, a, a journey of of self discovery. Andy is is he's away filming this evening for his new um brownies only YouTube channel, and and I wish him the the best of luck. On his exciting clopper endeavors, um, I I I I know he'll do well, and I, I love you no matter what, bro. So enjoy your night off this evening, my man, and and make us proud. Be yourself, and all that good stuff. <laughs> Just the thought of of Andy being a a, a Brony entertains me immensely. I, I don't know why, and I apologize, but I I, I enjoy it anyway. Yes, this evening, um, I'm very excited to uh talk about an enigmatic species of snake that I think deserves attention for many reasons. the Boland's python um for those of you who don't know, this is i guess i don't know I guess you would consider it a medium sized species of python from the mountains of Papua New Guinea that um although it's present in captive and zoological collections is still pretty much somewhat poorly understood in my opinion so um hopefully tonight's guests guest excuse me guest will will shed some light on that we'll speak with a gentleman who's uh, been to visit them in situ in the mountains of Papua New Guinea and he's engaging in um research project that will hopefully help us further understand this mysterious serpent so in just a bit we will be welcoming Mr. Ari Flagel to the show, and uh, I've I've been looking forward to speaking with Ari for for quite a while. So it's going to be good to catch up with him in just a little bit. Um, and I don't know what did I want to tell you guys. I want to tell you a few things before we get started tonight. I guess the most important thing is is I should give you now a, a gentle reminder that uh, Andrew, myself, and the amazing. Emma Lock will be heading down to Florida for Christmas Croc Fest coming up in, I don't know, a little over a month. Um, and that's going to be happening down at Crocodile Manor, which is a.k.a. Sean Heffleck's place. Um, and we're going to celebrate all that is crocodilian love. We're going to promote and, and support uh, all of the crocodilian conservation efforts that this festival, I guess, yeah, it's festival, um, usually promotes. So we, it, it's something that we're very passionate about here at Urban Jungles Radio. We really support Sean Hapleck and his various crocodile conservation efforts around the world. So I'm looking forward to this. And most importantly, it's a hell of a good time. If, if you're the kind of person who really enjoys the auctions that happen at some of the bigger expos um, like NARBC and so forth, um you, you would definitely enjoy this environment because um it's very similar it's 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 uh it's it's sloppy mayhem but it's it's good sloppy mayhem it's it's like i said it's for for crocodile conservation so it's all for good effort and that's going to be happening um like i said at that crock manor with our host Sean Affleck, um and it's on December 5th Saturday December 5th fifth. I believe that's the December fifth, but that's Saturday, either the fifth or the sixth. I'm pretty sure it's the fifth. Um will be happening. So plan on being there. Get your shit together now. Get your flights booked. All that good stuff and and get going because um it's really good stuff man. You can you can definitely be happy. You listen to me. You should always be happy to listen to me. Have I ever steered you wrong? Would I ever steer you wrong steal you wrong. I don't know. Would I ever steer you wrong? No. No absolutely not. Um, I, I definitely advise this as, as a destination for the fun Herper. <laughs> anyway, let me stop babbling about Crocs. let just be there. Be there and make me happy. Come have a good time and come do good stuff and bring money because there's an auction and you got to spend money and buy stuff. Not like really expensive, crazy stuff, conservation. It's a good thing. So, yeah, let <laughs> get started. <laughs>
2: This is Emma Locke from the human sense of YouTube, and you're listening to Urban Jungle Radio. Nine, one, one, Join Danny Mendez live every Friday night at 10 p.m. in his quest to bring you the very best in cold blooded entertainment. From special guest appearances, for today. No. 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 You're listening j- j- to Urban Jungle Radio.
3: I forgot to tell you guys this is important and um, I was actually excited to share this and I've already forgotten. But anyway, I've decided after much haranguing from you, our Jungle Junkies, um, I've decided to finally get in a run of t-shirts and um, swag that we are desperately needing for our Jungle Junkies and listeners to represent with. So I've decided to do a limited run on some very cool... Um, high-quality T-shirts with our thylacine headphone logo on them. Um, we'll also have a few hoodies. And I'm talking about less. There's going to be less than, I think, 12 of the hoodies. So if if you want some really cool UGR gear, get in contact with us. Hit us up on the Facebook page or um, email danny at Com or urbanjungles.com and um, reach out to us and let us know. But we'll keep everybody posted on when they'll become available, and then you can pounce on them and you're going to want that because uh it's cool it, and we have hoodies and t-shirts and it's not going to be cheap stuff like I, I got really cool hoodies and they're like vintage style and the t-shirts are like this like tripoly poly blend or some crap that just makes them really soft and comfortable and not baggy and doofy looking so anyway keep an eye out on our social media for that and um we appreciate it when you guys help us out this is you know this is one of the best ways to support us here at urban jungles radio and um what we do because you represent us to the general public that way when you we wear our swag and we really appreciate that um wearing urban jungles radio swag is a way to to open up a conversation and and drop some some bombastic knowledge on a mofo. God, i don't know
0: Urban Jungle Radio.
1: Urban Jungle
0: Radio. Pure Energy. Jungle, radio. Pure energy. Hi, this Hi, this is Lucy Lawless.
1: Hi, this is Lucy
0: Lawless. You're listening to Danny Mendez on Urban Jungle
3: Radio. All right. I promise this is it. My guest this evening is on a quest to gain more knowledge on species of python that we still, I think, know virtually not very much about, Um mostly due to its remote origins, but also because its captive care is generally poorly understood To on a greater level, I think. So um, Ari Flagel has traveled to Papua New Guinea several times and has located wild specimens and has had the opportunity to study them in situ as well as in captivity. So tonight he's joining us to tell us a bit more about his work and shed some light on the mysterious black python. So without further ado... There's Mr. Ari Flagel. Ari is it you?
4: Yes, it is.
3: Hey, how are you, man?
4: Good. I'm I'm doing good. Thank you for uh having me on tonight. It's a privilege to oh, be able sorry, to uh, hopefully not bore everybody with just Boland's python talk, but I can do it.
3: <laughs> nah, nah, you can do it. This is exciting stuff, man. Boland's pythons are like a big deal. It's even even to to people who aren't familiar with, you know, the conservation and and the natural history in, in in Papua New Guinea, in, in, in reptile keeping lore, it is, you know, a crown jewel snake for a lot of people, not only because uh, it's
4: obvious. I it's totally agree snakes. with that. It is a, it is a snake that if you were to walk into a collection or a facility and you looked at, no matter if you knew what's, you know, new basic, you know, uh, species identification, you would be drawn to this animal without a question. It's uh. They yeah. certainly are a an enigma, and uh, I've heard people refer to them as the Holy Grail and the Rolls-Royce of pythons.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're expensive, and they're also very hard to get still, because it seems like obviously nobody's really kind of nailed down the formula for, for mass-producing them um, at this point. I could be wrong. I don't know. Maybe you know more than me. You well, you would know more than I, which is why you're here.
4: And, and <laughs> well, I just, you know, I this guess with the, I would say probably within the last, I'd say probably in the last uh, three to four years, it's been really exciting for um, captive Boland's pythons, um, husbandry and, and whatnot, and uh, and reproduction. There's been several people that have been fortunate enough to uh, have some success. Um, one of those people uh, is a good friend of mine. His uh, name uh, is Frederick Overbach and he's in, located in Sweden. And he just produced his um, third clutch, I believe, in a row. Um, on, on uh, several animals that he's been working with for a number of years. And, and uh, I would say that he's pretty much got it down now. It's a pretty incredible um, feat, by any means. I was fortunate enough to travel out uh, last, I think it was the end of last year, and I checked out his his animals, and it was, uh, you know, I was waiting to grit incense that he burns or has a fancy CD that he plays or he wears some little fez and jumps around. But um, he, in fact, Yodeling. just... Uh, figured it out and uh, it's pretty incredible. So I, I think um, we're just having that um, itself uh, is really going to push forward for captive parameters and captive care and, and will really help out with uh, the, the species in captivity. And, and it won't hopefully uh, deter people from trying to work, work with them regardless of um, the fact of just being able to work with something so incredible, you know, that they might actually have the opportunity and the chance to be able to reproduce them in a number of years.
3: Yeah, yeah, they're so striking. They're definitely such impressive animals. What, what about them in particular led you to wanting to work with them so closely?
4: Well, you know, I get that. I get asked that a lot. Um, I first started working them with uh, working with them in the late '90s, and, I, and I've always been fascinated with reptiles as a as a child, and and with everybody. I'm I'm probably going to be telling the exact same story for about a million people that are listening right now, as well as yourself. And it's like, you know, we've just been captivated with reptiles since we've at an early age. And, you know, there's just some things that you see or some things you get to interact with that just kind of, you know, put a place in your mind. that's like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I have to know more about this animal. And that's what took place when I first saw bone python, And And I've been working with reptiles and been in the hobby for a number of years beforehand. And, um, and then when I first saw one, I was just like, this is it, you know, I'm like, I've got to, I've got to keep working with these snakes and, and at that point, then, you know, it led me to, um, you know, work with them for a number of years in captivity with a number of specimens from different individuals and collections, and then be able to take, um, my first trip, um, to West Papua New Guinea in 2006. And, um, I've been hooked since, uh, I was, I was there, uh, about four or five weeks ago, um, doing just more routine work. So I just got done doing my seventh trip out there and it's just, it, every time I go out, it's, uh, I, I think that I'm getting closer to understanding more and more, and I just like I walk out there and I have to wipe the slate clean again, and I'm starting from the the, the beginning again. But uh, that's what the, the exciting part of it is, and that's what I love. Well,
0: how
3: hard is it to get out to the territory where these pythons thrive? I mean, I hear all these things about Papua New Guinea all the time, about it being not particularly a safe place to travel. Is that true, or have you found it to be relatively... Yeah, I mean, no, it is.
4: Not easy. Um, as with anything, I mean, it can be, it, it's, it's, it, a lot of it is, you know, how you present yourself when you go to some of these places and, and, you know, I've traveled a, around the world, other different places looking for things, but I mean, New Guinea is uh, hold a special place in my heart, just as far as uh, I just love New Guinea. And um, it's an incredible place. I've never been put into a situation where I've, or I should say, I've never allowed myself getting put into a situation where I felt I was in danger. However, it's never been presented really um, just from where I've been and the people I'm dealing with and just how many times I've been there. So I know to look out for an issue if it could present itself, but with any place, I think, uh, you know, there's always a possibility. Um, There's some places that you just don't go and some things you just don't ask about. And that's just how it is. Uh, uh, I I certainly think if, you know, Joe Schmo just went out there and tried to find a bone spot on the wild, he'd either get bled for all the money he's got in the world, never find a snake or he'd, find himself in trouble with, you know, somebody, you know, um, find, trying to find out why you're asking too many questions. But, I mean, it's just with it's with any kind of a scenario. So, uh, But like I said, uh, I've never had a, an experience where it's been um, dangerous in any means with, with people. Um, the environment, on the other hand, uh, can be very dangerous to get to. Some of these areas are just so remote and uh, so difficult to access. And you're talking about, you know, primitive forest and jungle and you know a lot of limestone that you've got to climb around and you've got a the area that i've been visiting um for the last uh three to four years that has sustained a really healthy population of actively nesting females that i've been observing um for a number of years now um you have to climb over the mountain which is um a lot of uh jagged limestone and and uh jungle and whatnot and then you've got to go down into a valley and then you come up to like a higher plateau, and it can be very dangerous i had a, a situation uh i think two years ago where i uh I slipped on a a bridge that's a native made for us, and I went down into a gully about feet down and we had just gotten done um photographing and documenting a huge female sitting on a clutch of eggs and I had all this video and all this uh uh, photographic stuff in my bag. So the first thing I thought it was not that I might crush my skull on one of these giant rocks under <laughs> this water and drown and float down the river in the Mobramo, but my was thunder. that I was going to lose all this footage, you know? So, um,
1: yeah,
4: it's, uh, yeah. It, it's an adventure. It really is. But that's why we do it. So, um, I'll uh, con- continue to do it and continue enjoying what I love doing when I go there. So,
3: good for you man that's a huge you know it's a huge stretch it's not i'm sure it's, it's not something like you can call an eco tour company and be like i want to find bulletin pythons i mean you, you yeah. obviously have to do I, your work
4: i get asked all the time by people <laughs> and um i really really want to take people to go but it's like um it's not it's not sipping on my ties or you know right. uh wearing flip-flops and it's it's gross it's disgusting it's extremely exhausting and strenuous. And it can be dangerous when you're climbing and and stuff. And and you've got to deal with like, you know, the whole third world mentality. And fortunately, I've been going enough now where um, I have a really great um, group of people that I work with out in the mountains. And um, they appreciate my passion and and what I'm trying to do. And they're very, very eager to help me um, achieve what I'm trying to do every time I go there. So I have that um, bonus for my trips and, and my research that helps out, but I, like I said, I get asked all the time, and I would love to take people. I, I still am just very, very nervous about it, just because it's such a remote place. Um, but I mean, it's <laughs> you, like you know, whatever. it's like I gotta say, hey, if you fall and die, sorry, you know. <laughs> yeah,
3: um, you have to uh, leave, you know your estate to me, and um, <laughs> yeah,
4: and exactly, here's a right? complimentary
3: like, penis What kind here's of what kind of, of books
4: do you have in your collection? You're gonna leave them to me. <laughs> but, um, it's uh it's it's awesome. One of these days I I'm going to put together something where I can, you know, feel safe enough to to bring bring some people out there. And, and the other thing too is I mean it, I I whenever I go, I try to like uh reduce so much attention going out there and I'm very like it's very like 007 incognito when I'm when I'm working because it's like, you know, the only white guy that's walking around this village out in the mountains, you know, looking for snakes is probably a red flag. So I try not to draw a lot of attention so I could I could only see how it would be if I brought a group of ten people out there and they're just like, whoa, you know. So Yeah, yeah. Um, how
3: how do the natives react? to you? I mean, do you encounter, um, do you come in contact with them
4: a lot? Yeah. Uh, every time uh, the area that, you know, I, I fly into the Bailey Valley, which is kind of like the Mecca where you start. It's in Womina, it's in the, the center of, uh, with Papua. And that's where most of my research is done. And, um, that's kind of like my starting point for when I get there. And the, it's kind of like I mean, a lot of different tribes will, um, kind of congregate in that area because I mean there's a city there it's not a huge city by any means it's small very small and um but people go in there because they can buy things that they need for for what for whatever and whatnot and, um so I pretty much interact a lot with the Donnie and the Lonnie tribes and um Donnie tribes they're they're very I mean everybody's very peaceful now I mean years ago I mean you know they are a lot of headhunting and all that and cannibalism was not a far-fetched notion by any means in some of these areas. And to be honest with you, I would probably speculate some of it still happens really, really remote, um, uh, re- uh, really re- remotely in some of these places out in the mountains because it's just so difficult to access. But nowadays um, a lot of these tribes are just, you know, in very peaceful people. And I get a lot of, you know, at first it's very, um, uh, people are very apprehensive to, you know, to talk to you because they want to know what you're doing there or, or they don't, but then once they realize what you're doing and, you know, you hand them a couple bucks, they're very happy to help you out. So nice. but, uh, it, it's uh, most of the time it's, it's, it's very pleasant, and uh, I've had a couple of situations. I remember um, a couple of years ago I came out, and it was uh, the uh, middle of the rainy season, and, and, you know, when everyone says rainy season, they always speculate, you know, that it's just downpour like it is in Central and South America, but in, in New Guinea it, it rains every day. I mean, it rains all the time. and Through the rainy season it's a little... A little wetter a little longer than it is in the dry dry season so there's not a, a specific time where it's actually like dry for months it's it's always wet and we had gone out and we had um rented a, a four-wheel drive vehicle to get up to uh, a starting point where we could hike start hiking up and the roads were just overrun by just mud and just debris and and uh we ended up um blowing a couple tires and we left this vehicle out in the middle of the night and, and uh, my uh guide who i, I travel with um I'm very close with, uh, he's like, well, let's, there's, I know there's a village close by, let's just hoof it. And so we walked for about an hour or so in the dark up this mountain. We get to this village and there's this little hut and I can see smoke coming out of it. And we opened the door and this family, you know, was kind of like looking at and they, uh, they see these two, uh completely soaked and muddy white guys standing out front of the door and they're kinda of just like <laughs> eyes open up and I'm just like oh shit you know, and they're probably still talking about it right now. Like you'll never guess what happened the night blah blah you, blah, they blah, were white. you know? <laughs> so uh yeah I'm telling you they were ghost white. So uh yeah. but um uh so but for the most part it's been it, it's very pleasant and uh, well they are just very, very generous. I mean they hardly have anything but they're very generous uh with what they have and they're always happy to see what's going on and and a lot of people recognize me now when i go there so i get people come up to me and talk to me when i'm there and i um, uh, try to say okay come on let's go talk in the restaurant so we don't bring attention to anybody you know <laughs> but uh yeah. but it's, it's a it's, it's a lot of fun and, and uh and the people are great I, I really love it
3: do they respect you even though you don't wear a penis penis
4: Uh, you guys don't know that I wear a penis (laughs) cheese. What goes on in New Guinea stays in New Guinea. I don't um, know, man. There's, what's up with
3: the, the? There's like a whole like little funky circle of like you and people here in the states. Like I know like you know Tom Crutchfield. I know he got a penis sheet from you, and then I know, yeah, I
4: sent like, Tom his. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and
3: and then like I know like I, I was talking last weekend at Chicago to um Evan Wexler, and like he started yeah. showing me the pictures that he wanted to have auctioned off with him and his penis. I'm like, what the hell is it yeah, with these guys? And, it,
4: and it, it all comes back to too. you. I guess I'm the. I guess I'm like the penis the the Koteca dealer. I guess, uh, you know, just pass them out to everybody. You know? It's like the Walmart but,
3: uh, of penis jeans. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like pretty, pretty
4: much. Um, Kotecas- it, it's weird, it, you know. It's, it's kind of strange. Like the the traditional culture and everything is, is very uh, primitive. So they they wear the penis gourd and they call it koteka. it It's koteca. A, a naturally grown gourd that they hollow out. and They just wear over their genitals. Sometimes they put things in it, like tobacco and stuff. I've never smoked tobacco <laughs> that was in a penis gourd, but um, so you know, and then they wear fair. that so. <laughs> yeah, so I say, but um, they uh, you don't see a lot of it nowadays, um, which is kind of sad because it's so like, I mean, the whole Western mentality has taken over so much now. It's like you go out there right. and you see like somebody wearing like this really grungy like Michael Jordan jersey, and it's like, what? Where, where'd you get that? You know, right, it's like your, really something really trashy and uh, the uh, I don't picture, know if you remember the the, uh, that's,
3: that's the
4: that's Big Johnson uh, that's T-shirts. That's you remember those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw him yeah, wearing a big see. Johnson t-shirt one time and I was like, oh my God. But, um, nowadays it's, um, you've got to go out, um, pretty far in, in a lot of the areas I'm at, I still see it, but it's like, you know, maybe, you know, uh, you know, maybe grandpa is still wearing his penis gourd or something like that. And, right. you know, grandma's wearing her, you know, letting her breasts hang out and she's wearing a grass skirt or something like that, but not as much. So, um, but it used to be like, you go, I mean, to see a Donnie or Ilani guy walking around was nothing. I mean, now it's very rare. You hardly see it in oh. town. Nice.
3: I was going to say, um, as far as the people go, I mean, I'm sure you do see a lot of Western culture, civilization influence, but uh, there still is a significant portion of the country that or the countries that are, are still kind of in, 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 uh, I guess you would say, uh, I don't know, primitive state.
4: Yeah, definitely. Um, Every time I'm out there, I always see something change. And I'm out there at least twice a year now. Um, I've been able to do it more frequently, which has been really good. And I see, like, a new building built up. Or, you know, I always joke with my friends, like, oh, next year they're going to build a planetarium. You know, or something like that. Because it's, like, something something drastic. Um, this year, it was uh, – everybody was talking about Facebook, which I couldn't believe. Um, and, wow. Uh, but yeah, which is pretty, pretty terrifying. And and it's like, I'll give you an example, like, so I'm sitting in a hut, and we're just eating sweet potatoes on a fire. And there's like, you know, a boar's head that's sitting up on top of this, like, ledge, and it's like covered in soot. And there's a guy that's been staring at me for two hours, hasn't said a word to me, and he's got spears in his hands. And, and, uh, and everybody, and I'm asking about, you know, uh something about the Boland's Python or something like that and, and uh two people I look to my left and they pull out little little Nokia cell phones and they're texting somebody and I'm Are you kidding oh, me? I was like no. we're six hours on foot out in the middle of nowhere I was like and you're texting somebody and then I was like wow uh, we can really get a signal here so I pulled my phone out and I'm like <laughs> you know it's like But um, Facebook yeah, so, yeah I'm like Facebook and you know I'm selfieing it with the guy that's staring at me but uh you know it's uh, it's It's entertaining, but at the same time, it's kind of sad to see that. But um, it's um, – I mean, it's expected with anything, you know, It's just to
3: see that. What's the current state uh, as far as – I know part of what you're trying to achieve with your Mm -hmm. visits and gathering information is ascertaining what kind of an impact the pet trade has had on these animals. Um, How has the pet trade affected them and and these animals in general? Because I know that there's been a lot more – Increased trade with Indonesian, I guess you call them farms, reptile farms, yeah. and so forth, <laughs> and that's kind of opened up the door. I mean, has that impacted these wild populations in any you negative know, that's, way?
4: that's a that's a great question. And within the last two years, that is like the question that I have been trying to seek. And um I mean, it's it's wonderful that we have you know ways to acquire because we all wouldn't be doing this if we couldn't. It'd be so difficult. It'd be so boring. We'd all have green iguanas, and. Um, But on the same aspect, I mean, the pet trade, you know, is so alluring to so many people on so many different levels, so you can essentially get whatever you want. Bones pythons have been in the pet trade, you know, coming in since, you know, the early 70s. Uh, Fortunately, um, adult animals are illegal to export, which is good. But, um, you know, young animals, you know, babies, you know, and yearlings are are the animals that are are able to come out. But, and on that note, that's a, a really good... If it's going to be anything, it's a better way to have the babies because they tend to do so well in captivity. They really, really acclimate well to captive conditions, and that is basically kind of our blessing to help us with you know reproductive um, achievements in, cap- in captive collections and facilities around the world because we have these animals that just do so well as opposed to trying to acclimate you know a, a ten or twelve year old animal that's you know been living right. in the mountains forever and, and, and trying that. But you know my biggest thing. I'm not opposed to having bone spythons in captivity at all by any means. I mean, I have animals myself. What I am opposed to is um, if there is an impact from over collecting um, and just continuously supplying the animals without us being able to do anything really positive with them for the future. Um, and what I've been trying to do for the last number of years now is to gather enough information to assess wild populations for the areas that I've been going to because the animals that I've been visiting are the primary animals that are supplying the pet trade. They're the animals that are producing every year. And it's taken me a number of years for um, the hunters to actually let me go there to see them now, which is phenomenal because I'm learning so many things now on habitat and behavior and and seasonal things and all that. But uh, what I really want to know is, you know, if the, when these when these adult females end up dying, you know, is that going to stop the entire export of snakes? You know, and and in all honesty, you know, it's not. You know, they'll just find somewhere else to find them. But what I want to find out is if if the populations are being affected by um, collecting every year, and um, and that's very difficult because when you're trying to consider a population study. You've got such a mass area to consider, so that's why I'm focusing on this small area to kind of just um, see where it takes me. And 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 so far, uh, I don't think it really is at this point, but I say that loosely. Um, and and I'm still going through a lot of data. I, I'm going to be heading back out in a couple of months and um, to to visit this site again and uh, and to see where the females are at because they're sitting on eggs right now and. and Last trip I was at it was kind of a an eye opener because there was a new nesting site that I was going to be taken to, um, which I was very excited about because um, uh, you know from visiting the one I was at prior, I wanted to see if there was any kind of differences in habitat or elevation or or the females appearing different looking or whatnot, and and uh, the entire mountainside had been burned in a fire, so everything was dead, um, so it was kind of terrifying because it was like, okay, we had a different population of animals over here. How is that going to affect what's going on? So hopefully, you know, something like that. I mean, this could be take, like, multiple lifetimes to kind of figure out, but hopefully uh, the yeah. next couple of years I'll be able to get enough information to kind of figure out and uh, try to, you know, do some kind of conservation work where we can, you know, maybe – establish um you know a breeding facility or uh, uh collecting and re-releasing and stuff like that and uh, i've i talked to several people out there this last trip uh with the forestry department and uh sighties people and, and they are kind of uh curious about my idea curious about what my intentions are really but you know it's like right. uh, the, the local people are the ones that are like okay that's great you'll come out here that's awesome we'll see you again and you'll buy us rice for the village for a month you know but it's like uh, they don't care but um the government people right. are always more interested than others so hopefully we'll see what happens it's got a it's got a lot of promise to it and um, i've done a lot of leg work already so it should be just kind of uh heading forward in a positive way
3: let me ask you something. You mentioned before that when you go out, you go out with the hunters. This is fascinating to me. Yes. What is the actual process as far as like the collection for the animal trade? Do they go out and I assume they find these these moms? Do they collect eggs? Do they wait for babies to hatch and then take those? Do they? Yeah. I mean, what
1: do you what know they
4: do is, um, and there's there uh there's a uh, several farms. Uh, one farm I know for sure um, produces them. Um, uh, in, uh, in Indonesia, not, not pulling wild animals, but, uh, they have produced some, um, documented, uh, three or four occasions. Uh, so there is some success, uh, but it's easier. Uh, you know, most of the animals, um, are, are collected babies and, and it's just easier to do it that way as opposed to, um, um, trying it on, uh, on a different level because you've got to acclimate adult animals, you got to raise up animals to a certain number of years and all that. But the, typically the practice is, you know, they, they, uh, the, the hunters are incredible. I mean, they're just, I, I I've been going out so many times now. It's like, I, I still can't see what they're looking at. And they notice to know that there's a snake right there. I mean, I would walk right by it a million times and never find it, but they see it every time before I see it. And then afterwards I'm like, you saw what the, the green leaf was flipped over and it's a Brown leaf now. And that told, it's like, yeah. uh, aside from, you know, seeing, you know, scat or a shed. Cause when you start getting into the habitat and in, in areas, um, you'll start to see, uh, biological factors, uh, like, uh, fecal and urates. Uh, they leave around the area. You also see shed skins, stuff like that. But, uh, the hunters go out and they know exactly when the females are gravid. They know exactly when they're going to deposit eggs and they know exactly when the eggs are going to hatch and they will wait till the eggs hatch and they pull the babies. And the nice That's thing about neat. it is they leave the adults, which is great, but right. they take all the babies. So, that's one of the things I was talking to them about these last two trips was we need to leave nest a alone this year and you can collect from nest B, you know, and leave nest C alone and collect the, but it's difficult for me just to go out there and tell them that because, um, right. I mean, this is how these people sustain their lives. This is how they make money to live. And, you know, who am I to tell them they can't support their families by selling, uh, uh, something that they're able to harvest from the forest. So, it's, yeah, it's a absolutely. starting point, and, and um, I, I have high hopes for it to be able to, to do something uh, with one area that I'm hoping for. But it's just going to take time. That's the thing. So, hmm.
0: What do you think
3: is one of the, the biggest contributors as far as their vulnerability in the wild right now? What are some of the biggest things that are affecting them as a species?
4: Well, I mean, realistically, I mean, obviously, the animals are being collected every year, multiple times a year. And we've got to really take in consideration how much that really affects them. And that's one of the things I'm trying to do. So uh, without knowing those numbers, I can't say that that is, but we could speculate that's probably a percentage. Um, but ultimately, you know, habitat loss and deforestation is a huge thing. Um, in the last uh, five to six years, uh, they've been mining for uh, like uh, gold, I think, and some kind of stones and all sorts of minerals that they're finding there. So they come in with these gigantic earth-moving machines and just wipe out like hectares and hectares of forest. Oh, man. And these are, yeah, I mean, it's it's how it is everywhere. I mean, it's uh, but right, it uh, you've is. got to figure right. out how many in the US. species. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you've got to figure out how many species are being devastated or how many, you know, potential nesting areas there are for these snakes or, or whatnot or or even the people that are living there. Um, so this year was rough because I, I saw that uh, that area that was burned down, uh, and that was just, uh, you know, people error. They were – because the, the Donny, they're farmers, so they, they do that flash and burn thing and get the soil to be, you know, fertile, and they just lost control of the fire and it just burned the whole flipping side of the mountain down, so – Somebody was tr- probably eating a bunch of beetle nut and got real high and wasn't paying attention. So, ah. um, but uh, yeah, I, I saw a lot of you know, like whole sides of mountains just kind of bulldozed over um, with right. uh, looking for stuff. So, but I would say that's probably going to be the, the biggest um, uh, issue that they're that they're facing currently, aside from you know uh, collecting.
3: Right. Now, as far as all of this information that you're collecting, I know that you yep. are seeking the public's help a lot in, in helping you fund this. Um, I can't imagine the expenses involved with trying to get any yeah. of that information from across the globe. Um, where are some places that we can go to support your endeavors and to learn more about what it is you do?
4: Because I know you do yeah. actually a lot of well, different things. Yeah, um, like I said, the, the trips I take um, – they're they're all privately funded, so they're either coming out of my own pocket or they're being um funds donated by, you know, individuals and, and I've had some incredible um uh, people that have just uh you know really uh you know stepped up and, and donated and you know um to my cause and uh which is phenomenal and um but uh most of all my you know, my travel and that stuff is, you know, is, is is expensive. I mean, obviously, getting out there as well as being in the field. So, um, anything that uh, anybody's able to help out is always greatly appreciated. And then a huge portion of that goes right back to um, the the snakes and, in and, and realistically, the people out there because they're the ones that are helping me. So, a, a huge portion of that um, is uh, is right back um, to the people. But um, I have a, my website's up. It's a dot com. And uh yes, the name was changed, but I didn't get the U uh the Go Daddy account quick enough, before Somebody else did, so I'm still going with Somalia Bolineye. <laughs> um but uh and and I've got um, a GoFundMe page also set up and, and you can uh, find it on um my website uh as well as uh, we'll also put links uh, on our on
3: our Facebook page as
4: oh, well. Oh yeah, we I also, also got a, a Facebook uh group too, the um Bolins Somalia Boleneye group. Um and I've got a lot of really great people that are on there helping out. But I've had a lot of, you know, phenomenal, you know, people donate. I mean, uh, Todd Goodman from Timberline, uh, Wexler, mm-hmm. uh, I've had uh, a friend, Russ Gurley and, uh, SNS exotic exotic zoomed helped out with stuff. I've had a company called, uh, couscous backpacks supply me backpacks for my trips, uh, light your reptiles. I mean, uh, the list goes on. I mean, uh, ship your Robin helped out. I mean, it's like, uh, I've got so many, um, Really wonderful people that have taken the the time and, and been so generous to help out with um, what I'm doing, and uh, it really means a lot. But I mean, it's, it uh, it it always helps to get more. <laughs>
1: That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, no, of course.
3: No, it's it's really nice to see all aspects of both the captive community and you know the research oriented community coming together to help you with this. It's a it's definitely a worthwhile endeavor, and it's important yeah. that we you know see what kind of an impact you know, the so-called hobby has them. 'Cause them. Because it is, you know, I, I, I've yeah. been a huge fan of Bolins since, oh God, I, I hate to date myself, but maybe like I remember them from the 90s, mid-90s, being fairly common, yeah. um, coming in. And, and it worries me that so many of these animals have come into the country over the years, but we don't necessarily yeah. see anything come of them reproductively or even, you know, many of these animals as adults are being around anymore. And that's scary to me. So it's important that yeah, we know yeah, our and-
4: responsibility. Exactly. And and to go with what you just said, you know, the, the sad, a really sad thing is, I mean, there's been hundreds and hundreds of Boland's pythons that have come in since the, the, the late 80s and 90s. And, and, and the really scary thing about it is there are not many of those animals that are left. I mean, there's a few individuals that have decent collections of them, but the majority of the animals that all came in or have come in have died. And that yep. is due to just not having the the experience to work with the animals or knowing what's involved with working with them or just having, you know, um, animals that just weren't, you know, meant to come in like, you know, these adult animals before, I mean, 90% of all those adult animals that initially came in were all died. I, um, uh, and, uh, made it, you know, some of them made it in their twenties, which is great, but they all came in as an adult. And, you know, now that we have right. these young ones, I mean, even the young ones still die too. I mean, they're, they're a, a very easy snake to maintain, However, they can also be very problematic if it, if a problem persists in well, in not it's to the, scare people. You know, it's it's just a reality. So, um, and
3: anytime, even even with a captive, you know, a captively sourced animal, the importation process
4: exactly. is rigorous.
3: You know, yeah, it's
4: very on stressful anything. on the animal, and it's so one of those things where it's like you know. Uh, more isn't always better with them I mean a simplicity is is always the best answer in my opinion for working with boland 's Pythons, and that has worked for me for a number of years um it It's great if you have the um the access to do all the bells and whistles, but it's not always necessary and um and and that's where i'm trying with uh my Facebook group and just with my public presentations and my interacting with people and coming on the radio shows it's like I'm trying to say that, you know, it's like the time for um, positive collaboration, it's now. Because if we're not going to come together as a unified group of Boland's keepers, then it's not going to happen. Because we're at a point now where this is the time to do something about it. And if we're not, then we might as well just say, never mind. And it's lose that opportunity. I mean, that's a tough statement to say, but it's reality. You know, it's, um, no, it's it's it's,
3: it's, it's verified. Ver- I mean, it, it's definitely yeah. you're absolutely right because we're going to lose that opportunity in, in 10 years. You know, We don't know yeah. where they're going to be as far as us being able to obtain them anymore. So it's time if exactly. you're going to take on the responsibility of taking one of these animals, you have to really consider it seriously and how you're going to contribute to the greater good of them. And by far, you guys, exactly. all the keepers need to unite on this for sure and work together.
4: Exactly. Now. And um, I've got I've, there's probably about a thousand People on this forum that I'm that I'm running now, and a lot of people nice. have Boland's on there, and um, a lot of people don't, but they love Boland's Python, so they come on there and they talk about them and they learn about them, and then the people that are that have them are, have been very very generous with just sharing observations and data in. You know, what what has worked, what hasn't worked, and whatnot. And, you know, unfortunately, I mean, with with the reptile hobby, there's always a monetary uh, sign attached to everything. And, and that's just yeah. reality. I mean, you know, we want to mm-hmm. be able to make money off of whatever we have. And and, and certainly, if I was able to produce Bones Python eggs, it would be great if I could sell Bones Python, baby Bones Pythons, and, and put that towards my research. However we need to be able to look past that point now and it's not it's not about who's the first it's not about that anymore it's about what we're going to do to keep these animals in captivity and what we're going to do to keep them around that's what it should be about and um the the egos are just crazy just with anything in in, in the reptile industry and that's one thing that I've just never understood. And uh, yeah, and I've been doing it for a while now. But it's just you know one of those things where it's like I'm always up to talk to somebody about Bowls, pythons. I, I I never have any secrets of you know oh this is what I've seen and this is what I mean. You ask me and I'll tell you. And and that's one of the things we need to really just preach on is just we have to share. I mean, otherwise they're not going to be around, and we don't know what kind of a stat, you know status we're going to be in in ten years, like you said.
3: Yeah, absolutely. You're you're absolutely correct, and that's that's the attitude that we have to take with a lot of the rare species that we have access to and take for granted, and you know, at this point in time, as exactly. we have
0: for decades.
3: You know, this is this yeah. is the poster child for one of those species. We've seen it with a lot of of the um, you know, the the animals from that region that were once commonly available and now difficult to find. Things like ringed pythons that I remember were yeah. incredibly common in the U.S. at some point, and You know, then they just disappeared and no one really kept working with them in consistent numbers. Exactly. It's a shame to have an animal. Because you you know as well as anybody who who is involved with these animals in the wild, you know, you have their their specialists to some degree. And these animals that specialize in certain ways are really the most vulnerable ones. Excuse me. Vulnerable ones. Exactly. So. So um, they, this is a very vulnerable species and we owe it to ourselves as, you know, people who are, are of the mind of, of keeping, you know, doing the best we can for them to, to do our part in captivity. At least with the animals you receive. I mean, you know, it, yeah. donate what, to, to to conservation efforts and to learning more about them and work with your more with your animals um, in in your own possession. You could really do no more than that. That is spectacular exactly. if you yeah. follow
4: through. And um, like what you said, it's been really – it's been very um, interesting in the last number of years in the reptile industry in general just to see what we all took for granted as, you know, species that were so common like ring pythons and um lizards from Central and South America and, I mean, little – Animal, little species that would come in so readily available and we would just be like oh okay it was a $7 lizard or it's a $6 lizard and it's a $30 yeah. snake or oh, whatever. And now you don't see them at all. So it's, it's one of those things that if you do see them, they have this astronomical price tag as- associated to them and they're so very rare and you've got to go to like the one guy that lives underneath the Chinese food restaurant, you know, in Soho and he's breeding, you know, and lizards. It's a, you know, it's like uh, a, it's a very strange scenario. And uh, so that in itself is going to be interesting to see how that plays out in the next five to 10 years, especially with, um, with Boland's pythons too. I mean, we'll have people that'll, that'll have them, but, um, it'll be interesting to see where it really goes. And, And I'm hoping it goes into a, a positive, um, Positive direction, as opposed to something negative where it just goes underground and it's something that nobody deals with anymore.
3: Uh, I hope so too, man. The clock is ticking, <laughs> you know. Yeah.
4: So we just did a bunch well, of depressing stuff. So let's talk about the good stuff.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I, the good stuff is definitely the, the, your work. Um, I mean, for starters, it's fantastic that you are taking on this endeavor and, and yeah. taking on the initiative because I know especially if it's out of your pocket, which I'm I'm positive yeah. as as most people who are into this know already know. Um you know, being out of pocket and, and doing this is definitely something that has to be sparked by passion. And it takes a lot of balls yeah. to kind of travel to this other country where you're the only like white dude, you know, troloping around in the yeah. forest looking at snakes. <laughs> so th- th- I appreciate that. And and that's definitely I think the most positive thing we could take away from this is that people should look at your passion and, and want to do the same and know that you can do the same and they can do it by helping you out and you know through your endeavors, live vicariously through uh, through Ari and, and go to the GoFundMe yeah. and Help out, help him get there, and and help him report back. And how do you disseminate this info? Where does this info ultimately end up going? Is it going to be published somewhere? Or I yeah, know you, well, you, I, you... I um in
4: uh, 2009 I put out uh, a Bowlands Python that's, right. that's never been put out, and it, it and it was uh, for the time it was groundbreaking in my opinion. I mean, it was an an actual collaboration of data pertaining to this one snake. And uh, some, prior to that, there was nothing. It was maybe like a pamphlet of information. So it was 6 to 7 years worth of blood, sweat and tears literally um getting to that point and um now I I'm finishing up another manuscript that'll be done in December and it's going to be a different direction um because I um just from seeing a lot of the uh young herpers um coming to these shows and these conferences and I, I just remember how I was when I was younger I, I was the whole thrill of herpetology to me was adventure. It was going to these remote places around the world, you know, treaching through these crocodile, you know, ridden rivers and, you know, swinging on the vine across the gorge. And you you find this incredible animal that you've been spending months or weeks at a time to look for. And, and I really feel that, like, that whole thrill is gone. And so what I what I'm taking with this new book I'm working on is I'm taking – all this new data, all these new photographs, and these experiences, and I'm putting together a, a book on um, Bowles, Pythons, and the adventure to find them. And these are going to be – it's going to be filled with these anecdotal stories and these references from uh, Carl Swiatek, uh Richard Ross. Um, I've got <laughs> a, a bunch of other people from Indonesia that are in there, um, and myself. And it's going to be just these incredible stories of what we've all gone through to find these animals and then all this brown brand new um uh data that i've been obtaining will be uh laid out in through these in through the text so you'll be able to not just feel like you're there you'll also be learning all this new information and then um frederick uh from sweden was very generous enough to uh write um his uh, captive reproduction uh, notes and all of his information down in this manuscript. So Dang. he's not, you know, hiding anything. He's like, I want to share it yeah. with everybody, and what better way to do it is in, within your book. So, um, wow. Uh, and then <laughs> I'm also going to have a, a DVD in, the, in each one of the books uh, that will have uh, footage from uh, one of my trips, and uh, where you'll be able to see like what what's involved climbing there and getting there and dealing with people and then, you know, you see the animals in the wild and I've got footage of, you know, eggs hatching in the wild. I mean, it's going to be really cool. So it's, it's going to, it's going to take it into a different direction and hopefully inspire a lot of people to get back out and do things like this instead of sitting behind the computer and that's your, your herpetology right there is going on Kingsnake or fauna or something like that. It's to, to create that excitement and that thrill that I, that I had when I was a kid and I still have, and uh that's what i'm hoping to put in, in this book.
3: Deli cups are not natural habitat people. You have to see reptiles in the <laughs> yeah, wild. Yeah,
4: i know, right. <laughs> uh, you know something really cool, so i've been to i've been to Ham once and then i went to uh uh when i was in Sweden visiting Frederick, uh i got to go to a show out there cuz i gave a uh a presentation for a couple days on bold's python surprised and um i didn't realize they've got a really interesting way and i'm sure a lot of people have, Uh, knew about this, but I didn't. I thought it was really cool that a lot of the European shows are only a one day show because the animals are not allowed to be in containers for more than 24 hours. And uh, each one of the containers has to have uh, a water dish. It has to have a suitable hide area for them. And the animals cannot be contained longer than that amount of time uh, as kind of considered as a transit. And I think that's really, really cool. Um, I don't know how that would work in the States. Everybody would be really angry or <laughs> everybody would be in a rush. I don't know if they'd be able to see it on a show, but you know, but it was really, I would love it though. That'd be fantastic. I've yeah. always thought that shows
3: are our biggest weakness as, as a hobby or as an industry. Um, yeah. You know, if, if, if I was somebody from an animal rights group and walked in and saw, you know, the way people are stacking old and chucking them in the garbage when yeah. they're half dead and iguanas uh-huh. and all these throwaway pets that are overcrowded, yeah, we'd be, you know, we'd be gone in a second. And and I think that we should raise standards and, and we should yeah. raise the bar to a level where the Definitely. Europeans are bringing it now because they, I, I'll exactly. bet you their losses and. and are much less in the process as well yeah
4: definitely i agree especially since we're under so much scrutiny right now as it is in the industry Mm -hmm. with you know people that are are trying to shut down what we love you know these are areas that we could improve and you know and and uh maybe take it in i I know a lot of people probably wouldn't understand it but i think it'd be something really cool i mean uh there's there's a very uh, unique feel on these european shows i mean mean, you know this i mean you go Mm -hmm. there and it's a very different element and um, it's, uh, that it's the holy grail of, of the reptile shows. You go to these European places to, to see this, and uh, it's done very different, and um, it's, it's very cool. Um, however, we do have some killer shows here. Like Tinley, just recently was pretty awesome, um, and that it's nice to see that those show. shows are still going on. Um, yeah, yeah.
3: there's are there's a, they're events. They're not even I don't even think you can classify yeah. them as yeah, shows anymore exactly. because. The animal part of it is just a, a smaller portion of the social, you know, implications that go into that. show. you're forced yeah. to be up, and it's just, and, and the, I shouldn't say forced. It's something that everybody needs to do because when you sit there and you're listening to this and you're going on Facebook all day long, you don't get the vibe. You got to go to these shows, yeah. and it is, it is like you hear about all the bullshit that goes down, which eventually something always does. But that is such a minority. Like 99.8 percent of the time is so much goddamn fun, just yeah. enjoying. People people's oh, yeah! And I mean, people and smiling I,
4: I love the shows are phenomenal i remember i remember going to daytona for the first time when i was a kid yeah. and like i remember walking in i was like literally in tears because i was just like this is incredible like i i've got to decide which conference room i'm going to go into to hear this old guy talk about turtles or this old guy talk about lizards i'm like this is amazing and then i go downstairs and there's animals I've never seen before in my entire life. And I'm just like, this is incredible. And I'm listening to these stories. I'm like sneaking in between these two guys that I have no idea who they are. And it turns out it was Stan Cherish and uh, I think it was Crutchfield. They were having a conversation about some snake that they had. And uh, imagine that, right? And um, and I'm like kind of s- sneaking in behind them so I can overhear the conversation and feel like how excited they are about working with whatever it is it is. I mean, they don't have that anymore. And it's it's uh, it's a shame because, I mean – I mean, a lot of people don't understand. It. It's like, oh my gosh, you, you need to take advantage of it now and go to these before they're not that. there anymore. And it's like, you know,
0: you you can still get that at, at
3: very few places, though, man. Like like yeah. is definitely one of those places where the the shit that you see in the hallways is so entertaining, you know, and yeah. and that's where you make the memories.
0: Really, that's where yeah. you make the, yeah, make exactly. the memories but but it's it's a chance to go up to you know a
3: a really like happy Tom Crutchfield who's been partying and hanging yeah. out with people and and to get the best info and to like break down the guy and talk to him as a human being as opposed exactly. to like you know going on Facebook messaging it's it's so important so important I, I, and I I can't agree. Exactly. people exactly I, I think no, my
4: biggest God, thing God. is i I never have enough time to talk to all these people. That's the thing. Like, never, I never, never yeah. feel like, yeah. I okay, I'm going to go talk to Tom. And that talk, that conversation goes for, you know, it was, a, it was supposed to be, you know, 30-minute conversation, and then it's like three hours later. And it's like, oh, man, I, I totally yep, yep. missed out. I was going to go talk to so-and-so now. And I was going to go talk to so-and-so. And it's like, I never have enough time. It's like, that's the thing. You uh, still. You know, I didn't know yeah. this because I went by your table looking for you. And <laughs> yeah, I
3: know. It's like, I'm, <laughs> I'm gone. I'm, I'm gone. I'm moving. <laughs> well, well, that's the thing. You and I both, like, it's just, like, you don't stop. Like, I literally do not remember sitting down at that show all weekend long because no. I, it's exactly, as you said, as soon as you're done talking to one person, you go, oh, I'm going to talk to so-and-so. But before you get to so-and-so, you meet up with this person yeah. who – and. And, exactly. so, and that happens 20 times a day. And But it's fantastic because at the end of the day, it's so yeah. fulfilling to interact with these people and to see these people where you're actually sad after the second day of hanging out with them to leave yeah, them. I know. You're like, you're like,
4: oh, man, like everybody's waiting you for, you know, like them. okay, Friday, it's like, okay, and then it's like, all right, Saturday, here we go. And then you're like, oh, man, it's... Sunday morning, everything's over. You know, it's like, over.
3: You're hungover, and the show's over. And, and you know over.
4: what? I'm telling you, the next big show I go to, I am going to stock up on Tylenol, Tylenol, and Advil, and I'm going to sell it at the doorway because I went to the hotel <laughs> and I went to go look for Tylenol, and it was sold out everywhere.
3: <laughs> oh my god, that's I'm awesome! We should. I'm thinking, yeah, we should definitely like you should you should do Buy that for, for like carve carve the Tylenols into little tiny and pythons. Like or or python eggs hatching. Right? You could have,
4: uh, Timberline <laughs> could put little Tylenol packets in each one of their on top of each one of their cricket boxes and zoom in could <laughs> put Advil inside their little bags of you know take home stuff. You know, genius. Uh, Any of
3: you listening, take
1: these
4: ideas. We will hunt you down. Yep. They're our ideas. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh man.
3: Well that's awesome. No, well, thank you so much for sure. coming on man and, and keep up the hey, great work. I, I always...
4: appreciate it. And uh thanks for having me on. Like I said, I, I uh I uh we must have bumped into each other at one point yeah, we're we like had, walking I, back I, and I forth. I wanted
3: to talk to you and, and I know I saw you and you were talking to other people and then you were at your lecture, your talk and I caught the tail end of your talk because I had to run into announcements. It was it was mayhem. But I was meaning to talk know, to you because right? I, I really enjoyed what I knew so far of of your work, and then I got to talk to you know guys yeah. like Evan who were telling me more about it, and and I yeah. saw some of the stuff at your table, yeah. and I was like, oh, this is really cool. So I'm glad I finally got the chance to catch up with you and talk to you. And you got to update us the next time you you head back, or if yeah, you definitely. Have um, really big, come let us I'm know. I'm
4: always um always willing to come talk. I mean, all you got to do is just you know send me a message or whatever and uh and uh, I'm always up for it like I said I love I love talking about bones pythons and uh <laughs> any questions and all that stuff I mean I I love uh going out and doing presentations and stuff cuz it's I get to meet I get to meet people like you I get to meet people like all these other guys and 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 like yeah. you know and just and we get to talk about what we enjoy doing and and that's the that's the fun you know it's a it's a good stuff but yeah I'm glad I, I hope you I hope you got some good info out of that um and, uh, <laughs> until next time, you know. <laughs>
3: until next time, man. Thanks a lot.
4: All right, cool. Take Likewise. it easy, man. Urban Jungle
1: Radio. sunny Mendez from, jungle <Radio>. from, viken, jungle from Urban Jungle Radio. funny Mendez from Urban Jungle Radio. from Urban Jungle Radio. Urban Uh-oh. Jungle Radio. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Urban jungle radio. Urban jungle radio. Urban jungle radio. Urban jungle urban jungle radio. Thank you very much for
3: that. The man was damn excited about his bowl and pythons and that's a good thing. That's that's a passion. Passion. That that's really why I wanted to have Ari on the show, um I know he's very passionate about the snake and he picked up the ball and he ran with it, man. He he loved the snake and he tried to learn as much as he could about it and he even set off to the motherlands to go find it and he did and he's now doing good things with that and found this cool little niche. So definitely a worthwhile program to support if um you are interested or have ever been fascinated by the snake, do check it out. Go to uh Morelia Bull and I dot com. Just Google it. Don't make me spell it out for you. Just get there. Go to his site. Learn more about what he does and then find the GoFundMe site which I'll put up on our Facebook pages and, and support the work. Support support the boy and what he's doing. It's good stuff. Heading out there to the mountains of Papua New Guinea and playing with penis gourds and, and head hunters and cannibals and all that good shit just to bring us information on this Python that nobody knows anything about and people are scared of because it's enigmatic. But um, cool snake and cool story and cool guy. Ari Flagle, thank you. Thank you, Ari. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I got to see Chicago has set up. He had some cool stuff that he brought back from Papua New Guinea. So you, if you're at some of the bigger shows and you ever see Ari, be like... Hey man, you rocked it on Urban Jungles Radio, and here's ten bucks for Python Research, Mofo. Say just like that. Say <laughs> just like that, and if he tells me, I'll match it. <laughs> That'd be pretty bad. Anyway, um, I'm gonna make it a show, folks, because I don't want to ramble on, and I can ramble on, because cause Paul, this, this is cool. This is exciting. I want. I'm, I'm glad to know that that Boland's pythons aren't. Um, and completely horrible. Because uh they can be kept and people are having success with them. So it can be done. You just have to stop being lazy and dedicate yourself to these animals. I'm telling you, man, if like PETA or any of those other organizations really wanted to screw us, man, they just have to look at the numbers of all the shit that's been imported into this country over the last decade and like has just done nothing. Like like nothing at all. You know, like Boland's Python's like how many, you know, whatever he said, like it was like 90% of adults perished. And most of those babies, I mean, I know that I, I've I've been seeing Boland's pythons imported into the US since the 90s, right? Since I was like working as a kid at this import place. I stress working as a kid at this import place. And um,
0: it was like, where the fuck did those animals
3: go? They're out there. You know, they're out there and, and they're dying, I'm assuming. And if, People figure that out, it's going to show how irresponsible the pet industry is. So if you're going to go out of your way, if you're going to blow, like, a couple of Gs on a snake like this, or whatever, like, $1,000, if you're going to blow that much money on a snake like this, like, you should be part of some kind of effort, like, even, I don't know, I hate to like use like a registration, but just some kind of collective effort of people who are like-minded, who want to keep the snake, and if you're not going to keep a pair of them and try to breed them, you should at some point hook up with some of these people or organize something in a neutral place or even a zoo or something um, to ensure that there's some kind of captive population because one day Papua New Guinea is going to be like, you mofos and getting no more, and, um, and we're not going to have any more Boland's pythons coming into the country, and everybody's going to be like, Wow, wow, I should have bred them. And you fucked up. That was your chance. You lost out. So you don't want to lose out. Dedicate yourself.
0: Dedicate yourself to a stick. Have your goddamn ball pythons.
3: Have everything else that you want to have. But have something unique that's not kept in huge numbers. Something that could definitely benefit from a captive reproductive program and, and... Dedicate yourself to it. Even the shit we take for granted, tokay geckos. Keep a really cool cool pair of tokay geckos. I do. I just discovered them calling yesterday for the first time. Um, Keep keep something cool and just dedicate yourself and provide like a high quality tokay gecko. Bring a high quality tokay gecko to the table because one day they're all going to be ground up for cancer research or whatever else it is that people are discovering them to be beneficial for right now. And between that and like the tens of thousands of dead ones there in the pet industry, like you're going to be screwed. There's, there's, it's a big black hole. Don't be part of the big black hole. Contribute, contribute to your hobby, damn it, and 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 do it well. Do it proudly. Raise the bar. Look like at these Europeans with all their badassery, making you put water dishes. Imagine, imagine having to provide space and water for your animal. What, a, what an amazingly. Fucking alien concept in the u.s uh, i'm ranting aren't i okay i'm gonna stop i'm gonna go that's um hmm, what am i gonna play i'm going to play something uh for you i don't know here yeah
0: Tarantulas, sexing now I want a crocodile. Yeah, I want a crocodile. No, really, call Tom Crookesfield, I want a Cuban now. Racketacle are giant geckos. I want some venomous, but nah, forget those. I found the short tail possum, I bought some short tail possums. They hang out in my pocket and of course they're freaking awesome. Hello, hello, my wingman is mellow. Conservation warriors ain't backing down, Hello, no. Showed up at the roundup, almost arrested by the popo. Zombie each issue right away. urban jungle, pretty nice. This is all your pops I'm urban jungle, gonna rock it. I'm, I'm broadcasting like a beast This is freaking awesome. The end is just beginning, all the while humans just keep on sinning, I'm digging, researching these topics aren't funny, like rattlesnakes round up so they care about his money, thinking junkie for listening and making a big difference, don't mind fighting redneck from delivering special possibly if it makes a difference, I'm the, i the beast, not the brutal your grandma, your auntie, your mama, your mammy, there's stories about pythons in Miami, but you won't buy it like other suckers, newspapers lie to sell to other suckers, I hit the catch up and they stop in the motherfuckers, they be like, oh, that banana ball, that's so tight I'm like 15K for a ball python really? No more importation, do some simple addition Get something better than a ball and just breed it i getting tricked by a business Forget it, you're not starting up a business That thing is hella dope But seeing lots of money for a ball python is definitely a hella dope People say, come take a look through my telescope Rock, UJR, cause we know that you're hella dope <laughs> Hey, man I'm
1: the radio This is like an awesome tag, so the
0: jungle's gonna rock it up Like every semester, this, this is looking awesome I wear the jungle's clothes, I look incredible I'm in these big ass shades with a snake coat that's custom made I wear urban jungle's clothes, I look incredible That's right
1: these mm-hmm.
3: Sorry, you caught me. I was looking at my messages and stuff. Shout out to uh Marielle, Marieli Rodriguez, who is talking to us on Facebook. And uh, she keeps Boland's Python, Python, and um, she's enjoying the show. That's good. It's good, man. I'm glad I'm bringing people joy, because that in turn brings me joy, and there's just so much fucking joy. It's, It's just wondrous, and at times ponderous, how this little thing, this little Urban Jungles radio has created so much in the world. Goodness. and. I am indebted to all of you, our jungle junkies, for that. Of course, thank you guys for listening to another episode of Urban Jungles Radio, and um, I think I'm gonna end it here. I don't have I don't have my soundboard with the usual um, with the usual uh, uh, um, like outro like that at the end. So I have no way of doing that. Term music. I have very limited sound effects. I have like sheep. Yeah. like that's what I have, but I, I don't have anything really to send me out. So it's gonna be a quiet, weird send out. But um, thank you to Ari Flagle to check out MoreliaBolinai dot com and check out his GoFundMe and learn how you can aid him in his quest to learn more about Bolin's pythons. And I hope you learned something in the show and you were entertained and and you loved the, the hell out of it like I do because I love our jungle junkies. All right. Thank you for listening. And, um, yeah. And you guys rock. Thanks for making us urban jungles right now. Keys
1: go. Good day.